the word of God as it is found in Luke, the third gospel, the 19th chapter, beginning to read at the 28th verse. And when Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite, where on entering you will find a coat tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their garments on the colt, they set Jesus upon it. And as he rode along, they spread their garments on the road. As he was now drawing near at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Amen and amen. If I were out in my yard and two men came and got into my automobile that was parked in my driveway and began to start its engine, I know immediately what I would do. I would drop whatever I was doing, run over to them and say, Hey, what are you doing? And if they were to reply to me, So-and-so has need of your automobile, I would say a few polite words to those men and to that so-and-so and probably repeat them again before a police officer. But, but if that so-and-so had first contacted me and I had given my approval, when the two came to get my automobile to borrow it, all they would have had to say was, we're here to get the car so-and-so has need of. And I would grant it without any concern or anxiety. 
Because, you see, that would be all right, because that would be according to the prearranged plan. That would be as we had decided it would be. And the part that some people still don't understand about God is that he gets things done always according to a plan. Granted, a plan that only he knows all of the ramifications and facets, but a plan nevertheless. You see, what this particular incident of Scripture, I think, tells us is that God does not always let us in, all, in on all of the specific details of his plan on how he's going to get things done. No. The people coming to get the colt, we don't know if they knew the owners of the colt. It really didn't matter. Both parties were equally involved in that they really didn't know the total plan of the triumphal entry. They didn't need to know it. All they needed to know was what part they were to play in God's revealing, unfolding plan on how he was going to get things done. God never lets us in on all of the details of all of his plans. And though that may sound very unfair, it's very, very loving. God is very loving when he doesn't tell us every T that he's going to cross and every I that he's going to dot. He's loving because he knows, first of all, we couldn't comprehend his plan. We just don't have the mental capabilities of being able to understand and carry around all that information. Secondly, he doesn't tell us because he knows we couldn't carry all that excess baggage, we'd have no time to do anything except understand his plan. And he doesn't tell it to us because very lovingly he knows we couldn't take it. Thank God we don't know God's plan for us. For if we did, we'd be so fraught with anxiety or excitement trying to live tomorrow, today, that we would not get any help to him to get his will done. And fourthly, God doesn't tell us out of love everything, simply because I think he knows us and he knows that with our ingenuity and suggestions, we'd probably present some alternative plan and think it could be done better some other way and foul up the whole process. So God doesn't let us in on all of the things that are involved in his getting something done. He tells, gives us just a little bit information, and he does so individually according to what part or role we are to play. And you can know the part or role that you are going to play because God's plan is always triggered with words 
by his messengers. Just as a race always begins with the starter's pistol, and a building or a company or an I or a thought always begins with a simple idea in the mind of one person. So God gets things done according to his plan, which is always triggered by words through his messengers. You take your Bible and from Genesis to Revelation, you will find that the way every one of those big biblical giants got started was they received words of the Lord through some messenger. And though the words are always different, the message is always the same. It's the message that we see here in this Bible passage. The whole process for the triumphal entry which eventually led to the crucifixion and the meaning of the cross of Calvary began when God's plan was triggered with those words, the Lord has need of it. That's what got it started. And that is the message, whether it has come to Abram, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Judges, the kings. It's the word that came through Jesus Christ. John in his prologue puts it, the word became flesh. Paul, you know, when he was still Saul, was healed of his blindness after being knocked from his feet on the Damascus road by words spoken through the messenger, Ananias. And even in the book of Revelation, John on Patmos hears words of the Lord through a messenger. That's the way God gets his plan going. It's triggered by words of his messenger. That's the way you heard it. That's the way John Paul I heard it yesterday in the Sistine Chapel. The Lord has need of you. I stand here before you as a testimony to that being the way God has worked in my own life. It was back in 1951 in a college dormitory almost at the hour of midnight. For months I had been wrestling in prayer as to what God had in store what plan he had for my life. I wasn't happy in the vocation which I was then presently pursuing. I knew it just wasn't right, and yet I still couldn't feel the call to the ministry. And there we were in what was called then a bull session. In 1951 it was a bull session. Today it's a rap session. But then it was just plain good old bull. And we were talking somewhere or another about the church and the lack of leadership 
in the church, in the image that so many ministers and pre-ministerial students had in the light of other people. And I guess then, as now I was still very strong in my comments, and I can remember sitting right over there opposite me was a person who was not necessarily a friend, a fraternity brother. And to my searing comments, he looked at me and said, Dick, if you don't like it, why don't you do something about it? Maybe I should have been angry at those words or embarrassed or insulted, but I was not, and I can remember a smile coming across my face and saying unto him, you know, I think I will. And though that was more than 25 years ago, I still claim that was the specific moment that I heard the message spoken through different words, that the message, the Lord has need of you. You people know what I'm talking about. If you are in the work that God has planned for you, somewhere, somehow, along the line, you have heard those words. And if you haven't, I feel sorry for you, and I'll pray that they will come to you. Because sometimes they come. We just don't hear them. They're the most reassuring, strong, convincing words that I know of. For you see, the Lord, when he has a plan, he always triggers it by the words of his messengers who, with the disciples, untie the instrument. Notice there in the 33rd verse of this particular 19th chapter that they were untying the coat, the instrument. When the question was asked and they answered, the Lord has need of it. To me, the most untying words that a person can hear is the fact that he is needed. That he is needed. I don't like to argue with such a statuous person as the Apostle Paul, who says that the most beautiful word is love. I don't think it is. To me, the most beautiful word in the English language is a four-letter word, need. Need. That's a very loving word. And so many people who I talk with, who are troubled or are troubling someone else, can often can often be found in their life to the fact that no one really needs them. You know, that's pathetic. When you're young, middle-aged, or old, to come to the realization, I'm really not needed. And there's a lot of people that have that feeling throughout the world. And that's one of the reasons we have the mess that we have. I don't care who you are, maybe you're waiting for a message of the Lord, but remember, you may be the messenger too. 
hand, in your home, in your office or shop, in your school, in your church. Don't say it just for the sake of saying it, but if there's somebody you need, for God's sake, tell them. Tell them before it's too late. It's marvelous and almost supernatural and wonderful. The things that a person can endure, go through, and perform if he or she feels needed. Ah, the Lord knows what he's doing. And when he says unto you, and I don't care through whom or what words he uses, I need you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Those are the most liberating words that I know. And after all, that's what we're here to do, you know. We're not here on earth to condemn, criticize, or even con each other. We're here to set one another free with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here just as Jesus put it. Remember when he returned home to Nazareth after the temptation in the desert? You read about it in Luke 4. Jesus came home to Nazareth and they invited him to preach at his home temple, synagogue. And he took as the text of his first sermon, Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I am to preach good news, good news to the poor. I am to proclaim, release, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. I am to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You hear much today in theological circles about liberation theology. I don't understand it, but I do know this. That as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're here for one reason, and that is to liberate people by means of untying them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Letting them see the truth, for it is the truth that shall set them free. And I want you to take a little inventory about yourself, because you see, ladies and gentlemen, every one of us, with people that we are living with, working with, loving, we're either tying them up or we are untying them in love. You are doing one or the other to those people with whom you are coming in contact daily. And may there be no question in your mind. Your job, in order for God to get His work done, need you to liberate and free and love and need those people
whom he has entrusted to your providence. The plan of God is always triggered by words of his messengers who also untie the instrument and put Jesus on the vehicle's back. You get it? Follow the context of the story. Those people who got the instrument that Jesus needed, then took that instrument to Jesus and put Jesus on that instrument's back. You and I are instruments of the Lord. We're vehicles. Paul calls us vessels. But we are the individuals whom God has chosen and needs to get his work done. And he does it by getting on our backs. By getting whatever monkey you have on your back and by putting on, that's the way Paul puts it, put on Jesus Christ. Allow him to dig his heels into you to urge you on. Allow his powerful hands to hold the reins that are in your mouth and let Jesus reign where'er the sun. And allow Jesus and his teaching and his spirit to guide you to the destiny that you can't see yet but which God has planned for you to find. One other thing, though, you have to know about how God gets things done. It's always by a plan that he triggers with words by his messengers who untie the instruments and put Jesus Christ on that vehicle. Regardless, regardless of what some people might say, Please keep in mind one fact of life. Not everybody is interested and thrilled with how God works. You see, we in the church, I think, seem to get the idea that everybody wants to see the kingdom of God come on earth. I hope it comes no shock to you, but some people who pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, they lie. They're not interested in it. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us in this passage. Not everybody on that day of triumphal entry, when Jesus was on the back of his instrument, his vehicle, not everybody was singing, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No, no. Some people were over here in the corner grumbling, and they said to Jesus, Rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. Stop them. We don't need that kind of performance. And Jesus, and I think he said it with a smile upon his face, he said to them in very strong language, even if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And what Jesus says to me in that passage is that even if instruments who have been called by the plan of God fail to do their job for one reason or another, whatever it is, God's will shall be done, and he shall raise up someone else to do what he created somebody else and needed them to do, but which they failed to do. God is not very democratic. 
He doesn't operate always by consensus. He doesn't take a poll before he acts. His will will be done with or without us. But it's a part of his plan that he needs us for parts of it. I preach this sermon to you today because with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I believe God has great plans for this church and for all of us as individual members of her. Oh, I, I don't know the plan. It keeps me awake at nights, and many times you don't know how frightened I am with the awesome responsibility that comes with my office because of the position it places me in the plan of God. But there's no question in my mind, and it's been strong, as some of you know, for the last four years especially, that God has some great plan for this church. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know part of it, and part of it is in this new curriculum that we're starting next week. And when I came back from my vacation to attend the teachers' meeting this week, you can't imagine how thrilled, how proud, how frightened I was when I'd been informed that to this date 151 persons have accepted the message which has been presented through different Christian Education Committee members and staff members who have said to you in certain words, the Lord has need of you. And you've said, okay. To date, 151 of you have responded to help for one year in the leading and in the teaching of the church school program. Hallelujah. May I remind you, starting next week, our job, ladies and gentlemen, is to untie the lives that God places in our midst. That's simply what we are to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make less complicated the little and the big lives that are before us by telling them and explaining to them the good news of the gospel. And it is to put Jesus on the vehicle's backs that God has called in mission. I guess that's probably one of my basic jobs, and that is to help Jesus to get on your back and to dig his spurs in you to allow his hands to conduct your reins and to lead you to your destiny. And as we remember the pattern set by God when he got things done, we'll have to remember not everybody's going to be thrilled with it. Not every child is going to get up every Sunday morning thrilled to come, but he better come because you better get him here. Not every adult is going to want to come to be in a class or to teach. But ladies and gentlemen, that's the way God gets things done with us or without us. But I'm counting on all of you
But we need you. God needs you. And we'll see you next Sunday morning, 9.45. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to be needed. Help us not to disappoint you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.